Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. Puerto Rico is home to a thriving culinary scene based on products and traditions from the native Taino, African, and Spanish peoples that have influenced it. When you go, there are a host of restaurants, bars, breweries, distilleries, farms, and coffee houses to dig into, from five-star experiences to local favorites. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Westholm. We all know, from home cooks to restaurant chefs to eating enthusiasts, that the quality of your ingredients makes all the difference, especially when it comes to meat. Westholm, which is based in Queensland and the Northern Territory, Australia, is working with the land to create nature-led Australian Wagyu. They steward 16 million acres of rangeland, guided by the natural ecosystem where their cattle thrive. The result is high-quality Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of Northern Australia and a flavor suited to complement any cuisine. Westholm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash saver. Before AI can help your business predict demand, accelerate growth, inform decisions, automate tasks, reveal insights, generate content, you have to trust it. Introducing WatsonX Governance, helping you govern any AI as data, models, and policies change so you can scale it responsibly. Let's create AI that begins with trust with Watson X Governance. Learn more at ibm.com slash governance. IBM, let's create. Olay's new indulgent moisture body wash covers your skin in layers of rich moisturizers and vitamin B3 complex, transforming your skin from dry and dull to moisturized, soft and smooth in just 14 days. Feel the best in your skin and glow with confidence, all pride. For the third year, Olay Body is a proud sponsor of iHeartRadio and P&G's Can't Cancel Pride and supporter of the LGBTQ plus community. So this pride glow with confidence, not just all month, but all year long. Check out Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash online or at your favorite retailer. Hello and welcome to Savor, a production of iHeartRadio and Stuff Media. I'm Annie Reese. And I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And today we have a classic episode for you about forks. Yes. And it has sort of a hilarious reason why why we chose it. Uh, yeah, because a couple weeks ago, um, Annie and I were doing the thing where every every just about every recording session after we finish our episodes, we stay in the studio for another like ten or fifteen minutes and talk about what our next topics should be. Mm-hmm. Um, and a couple weeks ago, Annie very excitedly was like, "What about forks?" Mm-hmm. And I was like. Oh, man, I bet there's some wild stuff about forks. And so I, like, Google forks and, like, look at all these lists of all the different kinds of forks there are. And we were like, yeah, we're totally going to do an episode about forks. Mm-hmm. And then, like, three days later, yeah, I was like, dude, we definitely did forks, like, two years ago. <laughs> yes. Both of us had forgotten about it completely. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, I, I, it's funny. I really remember sporks. I remember oh, yeah. that episode. And I was telling Lauren because I was trying to remember what specific reason why I wanted to talk about it. And I think it was a culmination of I had just been to Disney World and, of course, the, the Little Mermaid ride with the fork. Okay, sure. And then I'm You mean s- the Dinglehopper. Oh, excuse me. Yes. <laughs> oh, oh, what a slip. Um, but also, I'm somebody who, as listeners of the show probably know, 
I love a good pun, and I love a good title. Oh, that was it. And I think I was just very excited about the pun possibilities with Fork. Yeah. Um, we should see if we still have the email where I wrote all the titles for it. <laughs> what? Okay, what the fork is what you wanted to call this one. Yes. Yes, but, I mean, there's a plethora. There's, like, fork in the road. There's so many ways you could go with that. Obviously, what the fork, there are many other variations on that one. Maybe I'm just going to go and do that. I think I have to get it out of my system. And uh, maybe we'll post it somewhere. There you go. My process. (laughs) My terrible, terrible process. Uh, And when I was, before we do these uh, classics, we looked to see if there's been any news, updates, and everything I got, apart from Fork the Place, uh, which is a place that exists in Utah and Washington, I believe. A Forks, there's Washington. A Forks, Washington. There's a Fork, Utah, I think. Okay. But I got a bunch of stuff about Bitcoin Forks. Oh. And I read it, and I don't understand it. So there's that. Well, cool. Mm-hmm. That's but that exists. <laughs> good, good, good news update. <laughs> yeah, yeah. If you're curious, it's a whole. Well, if you're curious, you probably already know about it. But I didn't know. It was news to me. I know very little about bitcoins. I'm not afraid to say. Yes, that is not our wheelhouse. No. On this food show. <laughs> not on this food show. No. 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 But forks do have. They're fascinating. They have a fascinating history. Yeah. Oh, listening back to this episode was was pretty great. Um, so, yeah, we are going to let former Annie and Lauren take it away. Hello and welcome to Food Stuff. I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And I'm Annie Reese. And today we're going to talk about the fork. Yeah, we've already done a spork episode. And, and Aunt Lauren mentioned that she'd run across some kind of scandalous history of the fork. Yeah, they didn't catch on for quite a while. But okay, yeah, let's let's get right into it. Fork! What is it? Well, I guess uh, <laughs> we can describe it. It's a pronged utensil used for spearing foods. Oh. A stick with points. There you go. If you will. <laughs> but there are a lot of variations on them. You've got fruit fork, salad fork, dessert fork, fish fork, deli fork, snail fork, serving fork, roast fork, asparagus fork, cheese fork, chip fork, crab fork, olive fork, oyster fork, pastry fork, pickle fork, pie fork, relish fork, suck it fork, tea fork, terrapin fork, toasting fork, spaghetti fork. Oh, this is an email of the forks. There's more, and I had to cut down the list. You're, you're slacking on your fork wrap here. I know. Annie. I could have gone on for probably, like, four more lines. <laughs> that's that's going to be in our deep cut of this episode. Yes. <laughs> the, the B-side. <laughs> <laughs> the name comes from the Latin word for pitchfork, furca. Uh, which was borrowed by Germanic languages as well. I think in, in Little Mermaid, it was the Dinglehopper. Yeah. Oh, oh, the Dinglehopper. A Little Mermaid throwback. Mm-hmm. Uh, and history's had some strong emotions about the fork. Take this 1960s poem from Charles Simic. This strange thing must have crept right out of hell. <laughs> it resembles a bird's foot worn around the cannibal's neck. As you hold it in your hand, as you stab with it into a piece of meat... It is possible to imagine the rest of the bird, its head, which, like your fist, is large, bald, beakless, and blind. Oh. Yeah. I should have done that in slam poetry style. Oh. Oh, well. Okay, next time. 
That whole spike with points thing is the crux, if you will, of fork technology. And it's what developed very slowly over time. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, slight tangent. Do, do y'all remember any of the parody razor commercials that happened over the past couple decades? Uh, it started in the 1970s when uh, Saturday Night Live, in response to a, a new double-bladed razor, did a parody about a three-bladed razor. Ah, mm-hmm. It was all lols until that actually happened in the 1990s, invoking further parodies. An Onion article in 2004 titled, <laughs> Everything, We're Doing Five Blades, which happened a year later. Um, and then SNL and Mad TV responded with like 14 and 20 blade razors, which have, for the good of all of us, not come to fruition. And look, this is a long tangent, but this is also definitely how forks have happened. Yes, it's a very slow progression. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very slow and kind of hilarious. Yeah. And we're going to get to that just as soon as we take a quick break for a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. We've talked in a bunch of different episodes about facets of Puerto Rican cuisine, um, like the dish mofongo, made of savory, deep-fried mashed plantains studded with some kind of tasty protein, and the creation of the cool, creamy piña colada. But there is so much more there. Um, I've actually never been. You have a tiny bit of experience, don't you? Yes. Unfortunately, it was a very tiny bit of experience. (laughs) I was there for about a day. I'm kicking myself for that now. I remember having delicious rums, delicious drinks, but I want to go back because, yeah, so many episodes we do on here when we're talking about food from Puerto Rico, I want that. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) it sounds amazing. We're trying to get a saver team trip together. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) Well, I mean, we're we're trying to get a trip to a lot of places, but this is this is really top of the list. Even putting together this ad read made me hungry. I was like, oh, oh, I want to try those things. Yeah, as we've talked about before, there are influences there from African and Spanish and native Taino foodways. The culinary scene sounds amazing, and we want to go, and I'm hungry. No passport is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. You can learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Today's episode is brought to you by West Hall. I'm a person who doesn't really cook with a lot of meat, to be honest, because when I do, I want it to be special. I'm the same, and I do love sharing that food with people. And I have to say, we received some product, some steak, Mm -hmm. and I am very eager to share it with my friends. Yeah, uh, West Holm sent us uh, a few of their products, and they included these gorgeous, gigantic tomahawk steaks that I, like, opened the box and immediately sent a picture to my best grilling friend, like, hang out soon. Yes, I did too. (laughs) West Holm offers these beautifully marbled steaks because they have 16 million acres of rangeland across the northeast corner of Australia, from Brisbane to Darwin. They use a nature-led approach with the belief that if they balance the needs of their cattle with the needs of their environment, both can thrive. Their cattle graze on native grasses like Mitchell grass, which is found only in Australia, and roam wild, foraging at will for the first two to three years of their lives. The result is Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of northern Australia, and a quality that would complement whatever you're into cooking right now. Westholm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholm.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash savor. Glow with your best skin. Be confident in your skin. 
Be brave in your skin. With Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash, cover your skin in layers of rich moisturizers and vitamin B3 complex, transforming your skin from dry and dull to moisturized and smooth in just 14 days. Feel the best in your skin and glow with confidence, all pride. Olay Body is a proud sponsor and supporter of iHeartRadio and PNG's Can't Cancel Pride, raising funds and support for the LGBTQ plus community. Olay Body wants you to feel empowered to live with confidence in your own skin, not just all month, but all year long. And when you feel the best in your skin, you can do anything. So this pride glow with confidence with the help of Olay Body. Check out Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash online or at your favorite retailer. Happy Pride! Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty, beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Yes, thank you. So, the precursor to the fork is the simple cooking spike. Used to spear, roast, and lift food, but it would be thousands of years before a second spike developed, and the single spike implement would last into the Middle Ages. You're making this sound very epic. (laughs) I'm trying. It's a fork. (laughs) No, you're (laughs) succeeding. In the world of cutlery, the fork in its modern form is one of the newest eating implements on the block. More primitive, two-pronged versions used mainly for cooking and serving go way back to ancient times, though. Uh, these were larger than the kitchen forks we have these days to accommodate, you know, fire uh-huh. as opposed to just a pan. Um, they were based on pitchforks and probably not very much smaller. Which is kind of hilarious to imagine people trying to eat with these things. Oh, yeah. That's why they didn't. That's why they didn't. Yeah. They're like, never mind. They're like, This no. is a bad idea. Yeah. At the table, people would rather use spoons or their fingers. Or knives. People had a a knife or small dagger on hand most of the time, and that was the most all-purpose bit of cutlery for both slicing and conveying food to your mouth. Mm Mm-hmm. Or other bits of food, like bread. Yeah. Yeah. Ancient Egyptians, Greeks, and Romans were some of the first to use table forks, and archaeologists unearthed forks made out of bone belonging to China's Qijia culture from... 2400 to 1900 BCE, Hmm. Persian nobility may have used something resembling the fork during the 8th and 9th century. And by the 11th century, forks were being used by the Byzantine Empire. But they were probably, for the most part, absent and regarded with suspicion by much of Europe. Probably because it's resemblance to the pitchfork, which made people think of the devil. They they were super fancy forks, though, like like we gilded sweetmeat forks have survived. Hmm. Which brings us to the wedding of a Byzantine princess to Italian doge Domenico Selvo set in Venice in 1004 CE. The princess caused a bit of a scandal, or perhaps a minor scandal, <laughs> when at the wedding feast, she whipped out a golden fork. <laughs> yeah. The clergy roundly condemned this as a sinful show of decadence. 
She also brought the napkin and finger bowl, too, which that's pretty, that's a little over the top, (laughs) according to the time. Um, Manuscript from that time written and illustrated by St. Peter Domain read, Such was the luxury of her habits that she deigned not to touch her food with her fingers, but would command her eunuchs to cut it up into small pieces, which she would impale on a certain golden instrument with two prongs and thus carry to her mouth. God in his wisdom has provided man with natural forks. His fingers. They were serious about this. Like there was like they did not forget there was a follow-up. Right. After her death from the plague a few years later, Domain claimed it was God's punishment for her lavishness, writing, This woman's vanity was hateful to Almighty God, and so unmistakably did he take his revenge. For he raised over her the sword of his divine justice, so that her whole body did putrefy and all her limbs begin to wither. For using a fork. Fork. That, I just, my brain just ran out of words. (laughs) It was a different time. Different, different era. Uh, well, <laughs> after that, inventory documents and wills show that the fork slowly spread through Europe. In the case of wills, largely suck it forks used for eating candied syrupy fruit. Still, middle-aged folks generally ate off stale rounds of bread called trenchers. Sort of scooping. Yeah. Yeah. In the 1400s, forks started appearing in Italian cookbooks, which brings us to our second marriage and wedding of the episode. The the second wedding scandal. I know. Two wedding scandals in one episode. In her 1533 wedding to King Henry II, Catherine de Medici brought with her silver fork, so not gold and silver, from Italy to France. There was much laughter as members of the court got food all over themselves and their attempts to use this new fangled eating device. De Medici was a trendsetter, and all things Italian were fashionable thanks to the Renaissance. Catherine went on a tour of sorts during the 1560s, appearing at huge public festivals to demonstrate the monarchy's power, wherein onlookers would watch as she ate with forks. Oh. Mm Mm-hmm. Two types of forks were the norm at the time, hefty, two-pronged things used mainly for meat and small, dainty ones used for desserts. But there was still resistance. Oh, fork resistance. Yes, still going strong. In 1605, an allegorical novel about Henry III's courtiers penned anonymously featured an island inhabited by these over-the-top hermaphrodites that ate with forks. How feminine and defensive. No, how, Not caring that they were spilling more food than they were consuming in their excess. Just deplorable. During the time of Henry III, forks were still used mostly by the well-off, who would travel with these fancy cases of silverware. Uh, And according to Carolyn Young's essay, Feeding Desire, the fork came with unsettlingly, I had trouble saying that, so I had to practice, a feminine aura until 1897. Until about that time, British sailors turned down eating with what they perceived to be unmanly forks. (sighs) No way. (laughs) Real men don't eat with forks. Right. They don't eat quiche. They don't eat with forks. Hmm. We're learning a lot. Um, An English traveler named Thomas Couriate traveled across continental Europe and wrote about his observations in 1608 in Crudités Hastily Gobbled Up in Five Months or Couriate's Crudités. (laughs) Great titles both. (laughs) Yes. 
he uh, he explained how how the Italians did this mysterious thing in which they they used a, a fork and a knife to cut and eat their food, and then kind of summed up by saying, uh, the reason of this their curiosity is because the Italian cannot by any means endure to have his dish touched with fingers, seeing all men's fingers are not alike clean. Hereupon, I myself thought good to imitate the Italian fashion by this forked cutting of meat, not only while I was in Italy, but also in Germany, and oftentimes in England, since I came home. And after this published, Coriate's friends called him Fursifer. <laughs> Fursifer. At the time, this meant both fork bearer and man doomed to hang. Oh. Fursifer. Mm-hmm. Pretty good nickname. Yeah. As ideas about hygiene changed, the fork grew in popularity, now with three and sometimes four tines with a slight curve, which made it more functional as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, flatware around this time, especially for the non-royal but still well-off, was uh, widespreadly a part of one's personal tool set. Uh, uh, e- even relatively common, common folks would, would carry their own case with a knife, fork, and spoon for use at home, uh, when they were guests in other people's homes, and when they were traveling about. And uh, because they were these mobile devices, the, the, the development of that flared shape of, of the handles and also of, of the, the curvature of the fork was partially to help keep the, the business ends of everything in check when they were all bundled up in your pocket or pack. Charles I declared in 1633, it is decent to use a fork. (laughs) But it was still mostly only utilized by the upper class. King Louis XIV told his children, however, to ignore the instructions of their tutor and stay away from those forks. Yeah. Yeah. In 1760, a French aristocrat described a fancy dinner party in Turkey, making jibes at their lack of experience with the fork. Quote, I saw one woman throughout the dinner taking olives with her fingers and then impaling them on her fork in order to eat them in the French manner. No, that's not how that works. No. 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 And I can't. I mean, I've done similar things. Well, sure. But, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> this, was, uh, this was also just a wee bit after well-appointed homes began including whole specific rooms meant just for dining and multiple sets of silverware for when guests came over. Multiple sets. What? Mm-hmm. With industrialization, more commoners began using the fork. King Louis Thirteenth's chief minister, Cardinal Richelieu, who found the, the practice of frequent guests used to clean his teeth with his knife extremely gross. Also dangerous? Yeah. Ugh, ugh. So gross, the cardinal had the tips of the guest knives ground down. The court emulated the practice, eager to copy royalty, and in 1669, Francis King Louis XIV declared that pointed knives at the dinner table and on the street were illegal. Whoa. Yeah. Following this decree, existing knives were rounded down and new knives were made with rounded tips. Huh. And this brings us to kind of an interesting um, difference in eating habits. Yeah. Um, At the beginning of the 17th century, Forks were still not typical of the American household, where they would instead use the new blunt-tipped imported knives to cut while steadying the food they were slicing into with a spoon in their left or non-dominant hand. Um, The diner would then have to switch hands so that the food could be scooped up and eaten with a spoon. And this practice led to the zigzag method Americans still use to this day. More on that a little bit later. Mm Mm-hmm. 
One American diner wrote of the fork in the 1800s, eating peas with a fork is as bad as trying to eat soup with a knitting needle. (laughs) And in 1842, Charles Dickens noted of people on a Pennsylvania riverboat, they thrust their broad-bladed knives and two-pronged forks further down their throats than I ever saw the same weapons go before, except in the hands of a skilled juggler. (laughs) Wow. Uh, It's suggested in the Oxford Encyclopedia of Food and Drink that American reluctance to adopt forks traces to Puritan ideals from the Pilgrims' original colonies. Uh, At the time, the newfangled and often upper-class use of forks would have represented everything that they were turning away from. Oh. And that's why it took so long to catch on over here. That's true. I never really thought about that. Yeah. Despite resistance, the fork had made it. By 1851, <laughs> finally made it to the big time. And by 1880s, in, in America. In America. Yeah. yeah. In, by 1887, etiquette books included best practices for not embarrassing yourself with a fork. Oh, yeah. Here's an excerpt from an 1887 book on manners. The fork has now become the favorite and fashionable utensil for conveying food to the mouth. First, it crowded out the knife, and now in its pride, it has invaded the domain of the once powerful spoon. The spoon is now pretty well subdued also, and the fork, insolent and triumphant, has become a sumptuary tyrant. (laughs) The true devotee of fashion does not dare to use a spoon except to stir his tea or to eat his soup with and meekly eats his ice cream with a fork and pretends to like it. They were seriously ice cream forks, though. I mean, like, like fancy tables at the time. Uh, might have had an ice cream fork, and additionally, uh, you know, is like status symbols, oyster forks, salad forks, lettuce forks, melon forks, strawberry forks, sandwich forks, and bread forks. By the turn of the 20th century, the fashionable advice was to never use a knife or spoon when a fork will do. These, it's intense. This is also the time uh, around about here that we hit peak tines. Five-tined? Five-tined, six-tined, and yes, even seven-tined forks appeared. What? Generally as serving forks, not eating forks, and the ones with the most tines were apparently sardine forks or bacon forks. If you've never seen a picture of a seven-tined fork, go now. (laughs) I'm resisting the urge. It's, It's beautiful in its ridiculousness. Um, And materials technology wound up having a lot to do with the spread of forks. Um, Up until the 1700s, you you wanted good quality forks to be made of silver because silver, unlike many other metals, will not react with acidic foods and kind of ruin the taste. But silver, of course, is expensive. Mm -hmm. When silver plating, therefore, was invented around the 1700s, it allowed what would soon become an expanding middle class of Europeans access to uh, fancy flatware. And beginning in the 1900s, you get (laughs) so many more, even more types of forks, from Bakelite forks in the 1940s to the bright neon ones of the 1980s. Oh, yeah, plastic. Plastic makes it possible. And comparisons to chopsticks have pretty much existed since the fork has in our more modern time. And here's one written, uh, written comparison by Roland Bars in the 1970s. By chopsticks, food becomes no longer a prey to which one does violence, meat, flesh over which one does battle, but a substance harmoniously transferred. They transform the previously divided substance into bird food and rice into a flow of milk. Maternal, they tirelessly perform the gesture which creates the mouthful, leaving to our elementary manners. 
armed with pikes and knives, that of predation. Oh. Yeah. So kind of more nonsense. Um, People have a lot to say about forks. They really do. They really do. I guess we're talking about them, so. I, yeah, we just did. We're doing a whole episode. We're not even over yet. Nope. Yeah, but we are going to take one more quick break for a word from our sponsor. Today's episode is brought to you by Discover Puerto Rico. We've talked in a bunch of different episodes about facets of Puerto Rican cuisine, um, like the dish mofongo, made of savory, deep-fried mashed plantains studded with some kind of tasty protein, and the creation of the cool, creamy pina colada. But there is so much more there. Um, I've actually never been. You have a tiny bit of experience, don't you? Yes. Unfortunately, it was a very tiny bit of experience. Mm-hmm. I was there for about a day. I'm kicking myself for that now. I remember having delicious rums, delicious drinks. But I want to go back because, yeah, so many episodes we do on here, when we're talking about food from Puerto Rico, I want that. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> it sounds amazing. We're trying to get a saver team trip yeah. together. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> well, I mean, we're, we're trying to get a trip to a lot of places, but this is, yeah. this is really top of the list. Even putting together this ad read made me hungry. I was like, oh, oh, I want to try those things. Yeah, as we've talked about before, there are influences there from African and Spanish and native Taino foodways. The culinary scene sounds amazing, and we want to go, and I'm hungry. No me passport too. is required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. You can learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Today's episode is brought to you by Westholm. I'm a person who doesn't really cook with a lot of meat, to be honest, because when I do, I want it to be special. I'm the same, and I do love sharing that food with people. And I have to say, we received some product, some steak, (laughs) Mm -hmm. and I am very eager to share it with my friends. Yeah, uh, West Holm sent us uh, a few of their products, and they included these gorgeous, gigantic tomahawk steaks that I, like, opened the box and immediately sent a picture to my best grilling friend, like, hang out soon. Yes, I did too. (laughs) (laughs) West Holm offers these beautifully marbled steaks because they have 16 million acres of rangeland across the northeast corner of Australia, from Brisbane to Darwin. They use a nature-led approach with the belief that if they balance the needs of their cattle with the needs of their environment, both can thrive. Their cattle graze on native grasses like Mitchell grass, which is found only in Australia, and roam wild, foraging at will for the first two to three years of their lives. The result is Wagyu beef that reflects the terroir of northern Australia, and a quality that would complement whatever you're into cooking right now. Westholm believes that when nature leads, flavor follows. Learn more at westholme.com slash savor. That's W-E-S-T-H-O-L-M-E dot com slash savor. Glow with your best skin. Be confident in your skin. Be brave in your skin. With Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash, cover your skin in layers of rich moisturizers and vitamin B3 complex, transforming your skin from dry and dull to moisturized and smooth in just 14 days. Feel the best in your skin and glow with confidence, all pride. Olay Body is a proud sponsor and supporter of iHeartRadio and PNG's Can't Cancel Pride, raising funds and support for the LGBTQ plus community. Olay Body wants you to feel empowered to live with confidence in your own skin, not just all month, but all year long. And when you feel the best in your skin, you can do anything. So this pride glow with confidence with the help of Olay Body. Check out Olay's new Indulgent Moisture Body Wash online or at your favorite retailer. Happy Pride! 
Hi, I'm Cindy Crawford, and I'm the founder of Meaningful Beauty. Well, I don't know about you, but like, I never liked being told, oh, wow, you look so good for your age. Like, why even bother saying that? Why don't you just say you look great at any age, every age? That's what Meaningful Beauty is all about. We create products that make you feel confident in your skin at the age you are now. Meaningful Beauty, beautiful skin at every age. Learn more at MeaningfulBeauty.com. And we're back. Thank you, sponsor. Okay, so some kind of science-y things about the fork. Yes, science and future forks. Future forks, starting with the smelly fork. The smelly fork? Don't you want it so badly? No, I want my fork. Okay, I thought I wanted my forks to be neutral. Am I wrong, Annie? You, mm, no, probably not. (laughs) But this does, I uh, am intrigued by this. So it's not really called the smelly fork. It's called the (laughs) Aroma Revolution Kit. And it's this kit that comes with four forks and 21 scent vials, things like wasabi and passion fruit. And you put a drop of the desired scent on a paper tab that you then insert at the base of the fork. And then, if all goes according to plan, the scent will influence the food you're actually eating with the fork. So maybe tricking your brain with the scent of butter rather than actual butter. Like you smell it. Okay. Sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, smell has a lot to do with t- taste. It certainly does. Yeah. In the article I was reading, they said, like, they would put wasabi, the scent of wasabi, and then eat chocolate off the fork, and it would be interesting combinations. Huh. A long way to go, but, you know. I mean, I would just put some wasabi and some chocolate if I wanted that's to. That's true. Get, but, I mean, but, sh- but no, that's, that's fascinating. It is. Another fascinating fork, the smart fork. First the smelly fork, now the smart fork. Uh, At the yearly tech convention, CES, in 2013, a company released a fork that will monitor how many bites you take and your rate of food intake. I'm not sure that's information I want to know. If you ate too fast, it would vibrate the way that your phone does when you get a text message uh, to tell you to slow down. Uh, The idea here being that if you eat more slowly, um, allowing feedback from your stomach to go on and reach your brain, you'll consume less overall. It's a weight loss tool. Hmm. And because it provided that vibration, um, which in the industry is called haptic feedback because it relates to your sense of touch, it was called the happy fork. <laughs> well, yeah, which that's is pretty good. Also, yeah, pretty good pun. It's still on the market, but I'm not sure how popular it's ever gotten. <laughs> I could use some reminders to slow down when I'm eating. Oh, uh, I don't know. <laughs> I've got other stuff to do. Sometimes. I, I, sometimes well, I want to enjoy it. Sometimes I'm just like, meh. There's a difference between eating quickly and eating like you're a starving animal, <laughs> which is what I, f- I frequently find myself doing, and then I'm not sure why. Like, yeah. why am I acting like I have no time to eat ever again? <laughs> anyway, enough about my eating habits and the work I might need to do to improve them. Um, something that I frequently need reminders about are table etiquette. Oh. Yeah. I, like, never went through, like, cotillion or anything like that. So I'm basically a mess at a table. Um, yeah, I, always I just feel have to look. really bad. Yeah. Look um, around. But so, okay, so there are actually two schools of fork etiquette. Of course. As we mentioned earlier, the American style is, is a zigzag kind of thing. Um, but, for, but first, the, the okay, so, so the, the European style. 
in the continental tradition that developed during the 1800s, it's considered a proper etiquette to hold your fork in your non-dominant hand, tines down. Okay. And the way the way that you should hold it here, uh, you you okay, you, you you hold the base of the fork's handle at the base of your palm. Uh huh. Your thumb and finger grip the stem of the fork, and then you stabilize the neck of the fork with your index finger. Okay. Okay? Uh-huh. All right. Try this with a pen if you're at home, or if you have a fork, that's even better. <laughs> um, the, the, the fork, though, stays in that position, and the knife in your dominant hand is used to both cut food and to kind of push it gently onto the downward tines of the fork. Okay. Okay. Uh-huh. Properly speaking, you would set the knife down when you're not actively using it, but uh, some places, especially the English, do just kind of hold on to it the whole time. Oh, man. Yeah? I feel like I'm going to be tested on this later. <laughs> oh yeah, we're we're about to take a field trip. I'm totally gonna see if I can put this put this to oh, use. Oh yes. Um, in this tradition, in the uh, European continental side, it's generally considered very crass to actually put any part of the fork, except maybe maybe the very tips of the tines, into your mouth. Really? Yeah. Oh, so that's why Charles Dickens was being all yeah. snooty. Okay. Totally. Yeah, yeah. Um, if you're dealing with food that would require putting the silverware in your mouth, it's better to uh, to use the fork or your knife to push that food into your spoon, which is okay to touch your lips as long as you do it from the side of the spoon, not the tip. Okay. So American style. Okay. Um, this is basically old-fashioned European style, but is still considered proper here in America to, um, to okay, to, uh, to use your knife with your dominant hand, with your fork helping stabilize the food with your non-dominant hand, and then, once you've cut a piece of food, you put down the knife entirely, switch the fork to your dominant hand for eating. All right? And you hold this fork, tines up, not tines down. No. Not never tines down. Uh, maybe, I don't know. Uh, yeah. uh, I don't know your life. Um, but, but, yeah, um, and, and you hold it more like you would hold a, hold a pen. So, the, uh, so the, the, the base of the handle rests on kind of the, the meaty bit of your hand between the thumb and, f- and, and in index finger. Um, the neck of the fork is supported in between your index and middle finger, yeah? Mm-hmm. And, uh, and then your thumb can balance pressure on the stem of the fork. So, right. yeah, so it's sort of like a, like a, like a scoopy things. And it's okay to scoop foods that require scooping, like peas, say, mm-hmm. into the curved tines of your fork and to use it like a spoon. In her book, The Rituals of Dinner from 1991, Margaret Vizier says of this, Denying a modern fork its possible spoon-like use is wantonly perverse. Wantonly. Wantonly. So there you go. I hope I hope that that made some kind of. I, it's hard to describe visual things. I wish we had been filming it because Lauren wow. and I were both <laughs> acting like cavemen trying to learn for the first time with with my terrible claw hands. I felt very Zoidberg in the middle of all of that. I was just like, "What is it doing? What, what are these hand things? I don't understand." I feel like next time I eat, I'm going to pay so much attention to what I'm doing with my hands that I'm going to get confused. Yeah. I have to say, I can't, being an American, not switching hands is very difficult for me to... To manage, yeah. Yeah, I've tried it, and it just, I want to do it naturally, (laughs) and there's no point. Yeah, and I wind up switching, like, the knife to my non-dominant hand, and then I I don't, it's really, it's really silly. You're like, let's just call this whole thing off. I'm like, just bring Go me, back to fingers. Yeah, bring me a bowl of soup that I can just drink from. <laughs> exactly. And like, leave me somewhere outside where I'm not going to embarrass anybody. Mm-hmm. 
that's the scandalous history of the fork. Uh, maybe more questions than you've ever had about the fork, but answered. Answered. Yeah, dramatically in some Very, cases. Yeah, ethically yeah. and dramatically. <laughs> so this brings us to our listener mail. Dale wrote. Growing up, I had a neighbor who was from Alsace-Lorraine, and she would make an onion quiche and share with us. Neither my mother nor I liked quiche, so it was kind of a burden. Oh, no. (laughs) One day, she brought over half of an onion quiche, and we did not know what to do with it. I asked if I should give it to the dog, and my mother said that it would not be good for her, so we should give it to Dad for dinner, which we did. (laughs) And from that day forward and through the generations, we still tell the kids, don't feed that to the dog. Give it to dad. (laughs) By the way, when quiche became popular in the 70s, we discovered that the neighbor was just a terrible cook. And we do, in fact, like quiche. (laughs) Oh, no. I want to know so much more about this neighbor. (laughs) Who, who, like, bringing over half of an onion quiche. uh, And just, just, yeah, yeah. just like, bye. She sounds lovely. Um, Right? I would love to know more. Even, Even if a terrible cook. Yes. Sophie wrote in response to our Julia Child episode, So, throwback to little 12-year-old Sophie that used to watch Julia Child every week. This was my favorite movie and was always delighted by Julia's personality and vision of what cooking in a common housewife could be. My English grandmother taught me to cook from a young age, and I grew up loving food thanks to her, good old Wendy. I always told myself that I would do the same thing and cook my way through mastering the art of French cooking. But as I grew into a teenager and then an adult, I forgot about my cooking dream. Until I listened to your podcast on Julia, and I have now ordered my copy on Mastering the Art of French Cooking and have set up an Instagram to document my journey. That's so cool. Ah, thank you, Sophie. Yeah, I'm very excited for for you and your journey, and I'm just sad that we can't try the food. Thanks to both of you for writing in. Yes. If you would like to write in to us, you can do so. Our email is foodstuff at howstuffworks.com. We are also on social media. You can find us on Instagram at foodstuff and also on Facebook and Twitter at foodstuffhsw, stands for How Stuff Works. We hope that we hear from you. Uh, We hope that Dylan does not completely hate us. That's Dylan Fagan, our wonderful producer. And we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. That brings us to the end of this classic episode. We hope you enjoyed it as much as we did. Yes. Oh, I, I had forgot. I Clearly, I had forgotten some of I'm that stuff. I'm shocked because it was fascinating. How did I forget all of that? Well, and as, as, as I was saying to you, I feel like I remembered it. I just didn't remember doing it. I knew it was an interesting you know, topic. I, we, make, we make a lot of shows around here. We do. We do. A lot of times you just have to make room Oh, yeah, I jettison stuff. Me too. Like about 30 minutes afterwards. People are like, oh, man, what did you research this week? And I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> yeah, sometimes, yeah, exactly. Sometimes even the topic is gone. Like, oof. We, uh, <laughs> we have a lot, a lot of things. We juggle a lot of things around. We do. We do. Yes. Um, oh, oh I, I, did, I did try to um, check in on Sophie and her Instagram with her Julia Child updates. I couldn't find it, so... You know, I hope that I hope that whatever Sophie is up to, you're doing great. Yeah. And cooking or not cooking, as it makes you happy to do so. Yes, and we hope that you listeners are as well doing great. 
cooking or not cooking. <laughs> How, however, however great me, whatever that means to you. Yeah. And we would love to hear from you. You can email us at hello at saverpod.com. We're also on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at saverpod. And we do hope to hear from you. Saver is a production of iHeartRadio and Stuff Media. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, you can visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Thanks, as always, to our super producers, Dylan Fagan and Andrew Howard. Thanks to you for listening, and we hope that lots more good things are coming your way. Life in our modern age comes at you pretty fast, which makes our time away especially valuable. When I take time to relax, I like to get far from my everyday life, immerse myself in natural beauty, and have unique experiences. But you don't have to leave the U.S. to experience tropical rainforests and islands filled with adventure, warm culture, and national treasures. Visit Puerto Rico, an island with a vibrant spirit that will sweep you away. Because when you visit, you don't become part of the island, it becomes part of you. In Puerto Rico, you can forget where you came from and embrace where you are. Puerto Rico, where visits end, but stories last forever. No passport required for U.S. citizens and permanent residents. Learn more and plan your trip at discoverpuertorico.com. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. We just dropped our Pride 24 collection. Queer founded, queer run, and creating size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies. So you feel comfortable in your own skin. Visit TomboyX.com to shop. Your new home journey starts at Fisher Homes, where everything is red, white, and new. Explore exclusive summer savings and start your journey by selecting your ideal home site and your dream community. Choose from a variety of expertly designed floor plans and bring your style to life at the Lifestyle Design Center. Are you looking for a quick move-in ready home instead? Fisher Homes has options for those, too. Fill out a form to connect with a new home advisor at fisherhomes.com to get started today before the sun sets on summer savings. You wouldn't expect to hear that we're America's third best city for beer like this one. Or home to vibes like this. And this. It might surprise you that we're top 10 for immersive art that's like. Whoa. And. Hmm. Not to mention, we have one of the top zoos in the country. So can a city with the country's best pro soccer team, ranking as a top culinary destination in the world, be in your own backyard? Yes, Columbus. Plan your summer at experiencecolumbus.com slash summer.